What's up, Nux, and welcome to a special off-cycle Jackie Robinson Day edition of Moose Tracks. Off-cycle because here it is, August 28th, um, for obvious reasons, MLB did not celebrate Jackie Robinson Day in mid-April, as they usually do, Um, but no better time than now with everything going on. Everyone's going to be wearing number 42 today. It's the first Moose Tracks since the opening day edition hasn't been too much an appetite throughout the league for the pod this year understandable no problem no worries um but figured i'd jump on because we are at the midway point we are half we're week five of nine and we're about halfway through week five like we're literally at the midway point of our season um things are starting to take shape some separation between the haves and the have-nots although all 12 teams still technically alive at least through Sunday, so figured just gonna look at the lay of the land, um, cover the all the trade deadline activity as well. Um, had a lot going on there, so break the, I'll break those down trades and kind of player by player. Um, for the for the half of you or so that that still enjoy the pod, um, this is for you. For the other ones, fight me. I don't know. All right. So looking at the standings. Not really looking at the live standings as much, but kind of just looking at the standings coming into the week and the scores where they sit right now. Remember the the cut, if you will, for this week is top three. The top three teams after this week are still safe, still playing an important game next week, but it's really just for Kumite seeding because week seven, the Kumite begins. The top three being uh, being safe next week and, and won't be in elimination games. So they effectively means they punched their ticket to the playoffs. Whereas teams four through nine, um, whoever those uh, bottom teams may be, um, will be playing elimination games next week. And there are some good enough teams in the bottom half to pull some upsets. So you definitely want to be top three. The top two right now, myself and Sean, I should say Sean and myself, he's number one, um, are squaring off. We're tied 6-6. It's a matchup that could go either way, but both looking pretty good as far as landing in a top three spot at the end of the week uh have about six games or so on third place third and seven on ken and so one of us would have to just smoke the other and then basically ken and third would both have to have really uh strong you know nine three or ten two type victories over their opponents who are no pushovers um in order for me or sean to fall out of the top three so I think we're pretty safe, but still playing to, to lobby for that, to, to jockey for the top two spots to try to get a buy into the Kumite. And also this will, of course, determine a tiebreaker. And since we both appear to be destined for the Kumite, we could definitely go head to head. And just a few weeks from now, tiebreaker could, could determine uh, who moves on. So still a very important matchup between the two of us. Um, as I mentioned, Brad is currently in third. He's losing six to five. Uh, to Jimmy, who made some trades himself to get a little bit better. Um, I would say right now, as things stand, Jimmy looks pretty good in the power rankings, um, and he only got better. If, if demand were to put out some odds, I bet I could find some value in Jimmy as as a team who could run the table this year. But Ferd, very, very good team as well. So that one's 6-5 right now. Could go either way. Ferd's trying to hang on to that three spot. And then the, uh, the number four and six teams are currently playing too. Ken... Um, he could he could move up to the three spot if Ferd stumbles a little bit and Ken can beat Eli. They're currently tied five to five. It's kind of tough to see 
either Jimmy or Eli. It's almost impossible to see either of them moving up to the three spot. So important games for them. Um, but still, they, they appear to be slated for uh, an elimination round matchup in week six next week here. So who might they face? Well, if we look to the bottom half here, um, the seven seed Nick has an eight to four lead over Decker. We all know Decker's teams are pretty dismantled. Nick has a, a solid team, slipped up a little bit lately to end up in this elimination game, but was in first, I think, just no more than a week or so ago, maybe two weeks ago. Um, so a good team that you don't necessarily want to run into in the playoffs right now. It looks like he could face potentially uh, Eli. That would be a really good matchup. Um, who else do we got here? So again, Nick leads 8-4. That one's not over, but he's got a, he's got a headlock there. After that, we have uh, the eight seed Cup facing Boots. Boots is another team that tore it down. Cup leads nine to two. I'm not diving into the categories, but that's a pretty hefty lead there um, with definitely the superior team. A lot of smack talk going on there. Looks like Cup will make his way to the playoffs. And as it currently sits right now, that would be a date with, with uh, Jimmy, it looks like. Um, again, this is not really even live standings. It's just kind of looking at the middle of the pack right now. That would be another good matchup. A tough one that you figured Jimmy would be favored in, but Cup could pull off that upset. And then the last elimination game this week is between two sellers, between Keith and Demand. Um, both have enough talent left in the form of keepers to make a little bit of noise. And it's just interesting that there's two sellers. One of them obviously will survive this week. So they will be there will be a seller next week who is one win away from making the, the playoffs, or making the Kumite as a seller. Um, they'll have a tough road. I presume they would be facing uh, the four seed, which right now would be Ken. Um, they would definitely be underdogs in that matchup. Um, but crazier things have happened, I suppose. So keep an eye on those matchups. It's too early to really call how they're going to break. There's still three days. There's a full weekend of baseball to play. Um, and so I'm not going to make any predictions per se. But that's how it's shaking out. Me and Sean looking pretty safe to be top three. Ferd and Ken battling for that last safe spot. Um, and then the rest will kind of enter the Kumite around early, if you will. Uh, next week in these elimination games. Okay, so let's take a look at the trade flurries. What happened? Where is it at? There we go. Um, lot to discuss here. Pulling it up. Yahoo's playing some tricks on me. We know Ken got it. Lead it off for us. Kind of opened the floodgates. It kind of seemed like there just wasn't going to be a lot of activity. Um, because it's an asterisk type season. The man was texting me on Sunday and I know he was talking to Sean and all, and it just seems to be the consensus that no one really wanted to go all in um, for a season that most of us kind of, it counts, but we know what it is. Um, and then the floodgates open and then it kind of seemed like contenders were like, well, shit, if, if, if this is what I got to do to stay competitive, you play to win the game, um, then that's, that's what we did. And so we did have a more active trade deadline than than we, we usually would. But before even going, before even Sunday, Ken bought uh, a couple days earlier in his trade with Boots. Uh, Ken acquired Jake DeGrom, Donovan Solano, and Josh Donaldson um, in exchange for Jorge Soler, $1 being the big piece, a couple other fillers, and JP Crawford and Will Harris. As far as who Boots got, Jorge Soler, 
I haven't looked too much into his year this year. Loved what he did last year. We know who he is. Big time power bat, one dollar. That's the kind of guy you want to chase at the deadline. So uh, I think Boots did a nice job there. Ken, maybe he knew he was going to be shopping Bieber and he had to replace him with another ace, landing DeGrom. DeGrom, I think, is the best pitcher in baseball. Um, 14 strikeouts, like total dominance the other night. Of course, the Mets blew his win. That, that story is just crazy, just how many wins of his they blow. Um, but he, I was wondering if he was just going to tag team with DeGrom and Bieber and just kind of let that two-headed horse just dominate on the pitching side of the house. But we know that Bieber is no longer part of the Adames family. Um, so DeGrom, obviously a legitimate ace to anchor that staff. Solano doing crazy things with his batting average. I think he's carrying a pretty high bat. If I'm not diving into every single one of these guys' profiles, um, you know, multi-eligible guy. Seems like a, a glue guy that can kind of help the team out. Not someone I anticipate being a huge difference maker. Donaldson, a bat I love, but already, you know, he's on the DL right now uh, with his calf injury. Looks like as of Tuesday, he was taking at bats in an intra-squad game. Who knows what that means? I mean, great bat to have, but may, may not even see him again this year. Who knows? I think he's on a pretty cheap contract, though, so... Ken may have gotten a keeper back, albeit lesser value one than Soler. Of course, if he has the the fortitude to, to keep someone like Donaldson with all these injuries that he's been having. All right, and then there's another deal looks like between, on that same day, between Boots and Ferd, where Ferd acquired Steven Strasburg, already dead, purple tunnel syndrome, he's out. Um, but the, no like blue chip piece here. Ryan Yarbrough, solid starter. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. out in Toronto. I know he had a slow start, but I think he's really turned it up. Uh, there's a bat that I like. Yeah, it looks like he homered a couple times this week and a stolen base. Um, definitely turning things around. Yandy Diaz, not particularly fond of Yandy, just mostly because what the Rays do with their lineup. He just he probably is only going to play five days a week on a good week. Hits the piss out of the ball, but doesn't really get it in the air. Hence the, the two home runs um, that he has right now. Just a freak with huge average exit velocities, but most of those are 99-mile-per-hour ground balls. But he's still got a little bit better, I mean, I think, because he got rid of Dylan Cease, who's a guy who, in the Cato Walk League, just doesn't do it for me. Um, Colton Wong, let's see, Colton Wong hasn't really played much because the Cardinals haven't played much, but it looks like he hasn't really gotten up too much. Um, Verdugo, freaking white chocolate. That guy is annoying, man. He's having a good year, though, so that's a nice piece for Boots to get back. And then Oscar Mercado, who I know was supposed to be a power speed guy, he's already in the, the alternate training minor site or whatever. So, Ferd might have gotten a little bit better here, but it, it wasn't one of those big all-in type deals. Um, and he didn't give up necessarily a ton going the other way. So, I think he, he probably was banking on a little bit more from Strasburg, even though I think he was partially injured when this took place. He didn't know he was going to be out for the year, obviously. Um, so that probably sucked a lot of value out of this deal for him. Then we had the big one. Six days later, this is the one that blew the uh, floodgates open. The trade between Demand and Ken probably will be remembered as the trade um, that that broke the, the the straw that broke the camel's back. I think people were kind of getting a little bit over some of just the the absolute maniacal trade deadlines that we've had and this just kind of illustrates like all right like the, this is getting a little out of control but perfectly within reason and within the rules 
um, and something that chasing a three-time title, don't blame him for doing it. And I don't blame Demand for, for just saying, hey, I spotted the keeper I wanted in Shane Bieber and just take it, take it all. Like, I mean, both parties, it's a win-win, um, but we'll get to as far, you know, we've had some discussions already and we'll get to, you know, how we got to address this because this is just crazy. But Demand, the, the big piece, Shane Bieber, $18. Um, someone who coming into last year the, the concern was that he was going to be like an Alaska type because you look at 2018 and really great K rates low walk rates just a lot of hard contact and it's like guys oh, this is one of those guys who just throws too many strikes um, not only has his skills improved but the, the the results have gravitated towards his peripherals and he is you know if you, I said I think DeGrom is the best pitcher in baseball in, in this guy's right there with him. Obviously, Cole's in the mix, but that's the trio right there. I think that is tier one. Anyone beyond that, I think, is tier two. I think even Max Scherzer at this point is not in those guys' league. Unless I'm just missing somebody obvious. Um, so, but to get an ace in, in Bieber, I, I think that's just a great add from demand. The other guys coming back were just pieces, right? Chris Davis from Oakland, he's not even playing. He, what a mess. I mean, that guy, they signed Oakland and the, the rare chance that they sign a guy to a multi-year deal worth you know, a little bit of money. I don't remember exactly what they gave him, about like four years, 70 million or something like that. And he just duds out. Um, Christian Pache, I think he's already back in the minors. He was a, he's a Braves outfield prospect who's really more defense than anything right now. And then yes, Mighty Grandal, who uh, is a solid catcher. Demand's already flipped him. Um, but understandably, Ken didn't need him as JT Romuto was one of the pieces coming back. But then when you look at Ken's return, here we go. I'm going to start with some cold water. There's a lot to like here, but Jose Altuve, this is worth discussing. This guy sucks, man. I'm sorry. The man, you can tell me how wrong I am. Anyone else can just say, oh, one month, small sample. Maybe I'll eat some crow later. He looks terrible. This is not a case of just, oh, I'm unlucky and bad Babbitt, or even just a cold streak. That is not what's happening here, okay? First of all, He's never been this bad for this long. Yeah, it's only a month. You look at like 28 games or whatever they've played, like a 28-game rolling Woba, he's never been this bad before for this long. There's been two times where it's been close. Last year, he had a window like this where he was about this bad, and in about 2016 or so, like four years ago. Both of those times, he had either just got, it was just coming off of the disabled list, maybe came off too early and was playing hurt, or he had this slump, so to speak, and then went on to the stable list. So he was playing hurt, trying to play through it, and finally said, I can't do it anymore. Those were injuries. This is skills, I think. There's a chance that he's playing through an injury right now, I suppose. That's like the only, one of the only logical explanations to this. But he looks like shit, and he looks like shit under the hood. I've watched plenty of Astros, probably just because they're in the West region, so they play the Angels a lot and all. And like, Astros will be having an inning where they're just fucking teeing off on the pitcher. And everyone's just squaring up every pitch and he goes up there and he looks so overmatched and like he's guessing and he's swinging and missing it striking out with like you know bases loaded one out it's like dude just put the ball in play you're gonna score a run um and he's whiffing like he he looks terrible and i think if he's not hurt there's two other potential explanations one of them the less likely but i am not ruling this out is that he can't cheat anymore i know this is like like i said this is the least likely of the scenarios but Everyone loved the the mighty mouse underdog, five foot one, best hitter in the league. When you put it that way, it's like, does that even fucking make sense? Like, what is so special about Jose Altuve that he can go out and do that 
at that size with that that <clears throat> that level of disadvantage. I, I I know I saw a buzzer on his chest. I we know that they cheated. I bet you this has been going on for a long time. I, I wouldn't say I bet you, but it would not surprise me at all. I will I will always be a buzzer truther that he's been doing this for a while. Has he been doing it his whole career? I don't know, but that is one explanation that he finally can't cheat, and that's why he looks so overmatched and so shitty up there. The other one, if he's not a, if he hasn't been a, a, a career-long cheat, is he's wrecked mentally and emotionally from all this because. You know, these guys, they didn't get to major leagues by being mentally soft, but he was like, everyone loved Jose Altuve. All the fans loved him. Even opposing fans loved him. He was just a likable guy. The players loved him. And no one fucking likes him anymore. No one likes him. No one likes the Astros, including people within baseball. And that's probably what's got to hurt the most. It's not the, oh, the fans boo me or whatever. It's like, no, even the guys on the field who used to, you had their respect, like they don't like you anymore. They think you're a fraud. Um, there's plenty of that. That's that's just the reality of it. And maybe he's just like, fuck, this sucks. And it's in his head and he's pressing. And maybe he can come out of it next year or so. He's only getting older. I don't think he's going to do much of shit this year. I don't think he's going to do much shit, period. I think this guy's done. Like, not done, like out of the league done. But like, the Jose Altuve we know, we knew for the last handful of years, ain't happening, period. Uh, I'll, I'll eat all the crow and drink a buzz ball if I'm wrong about that. Um, but the other players that Ken got back, a lot of good players. JT Romuto, best catcher in baseball, in my opinion, definitely fantasy-wise. Um, but he's also a really good catcher. Love watching him play. Um, he's the kind of guy that if I if I didn't promise myself I was going like, to spend a dollar on a catcher this year because of how badly Gary Sanchez went for me last year, if I didn't make that promise to myself, I would have been on a Romuto. And I definitely would have got him for the price, if not more, than what the man paid for him. I think he's great. Great addition there. Bryce Harper, we know the story with him. Flashes of generational talent, flashes of disappointment. Right now, he looks great and is ranked the 10th best player in baseball. He's even doing some running. Just a great year. Charlie Blackman, I think he's a little banged up right now. Um, nope, he's back because he hit a grand slam yesterday. So he had a little quad thing. He's already back. Um, you know, you, you kind of wait for not the cliff, but some at least some gradual decline from Blackman, who's, who's definitely on the wrong side at 30, but he's just still smashing. Gets the call, Coors home. He should be a great player down the stretch. Mike Moustakis, I know he had a really slow start. Um, he missed some time. I think it was COVID-related. Only two home runs right now, but a really good player hitting in a great park. No reason to think that he won't uh, be a contributor. And then Ken got two of his closers. He had no closers. It's going to be interesting to see how he handled that because winning this league while punting any categories is not an easy feat. He did get two of them. Um, I don't think they're great ones per se. Brandon Workman um, really outperformed his peripherals last year, walks a lot of guys. But I think he's got that job in Philly. So possession is nine-tenths of the law as closers, and he's going to get those saves. Taylor Williams out in Seattle. Um, I think he, as I recall, he's been good. He just got his yeah, look, oh, he got his teeth kicked in uh, yesterday at San Diego. Gave up like five earned, didn't even finish the inning. Blew the save, blew the game, it seems like. So um, I don't know that there's any talk of any churn there if he's still got that job. But Ken may have gotten himself two closers. Um, definitely one in, in Brandon Workman. Okay, so and moral of the story there. Huge, huge upgrade for Ken. And he backfilled that Bieber departure with Jake DeGrom. So... He's definitely a threat to, to 
quote unquote three peat, three peat with an asterisk. Um, small deal. I sent Dylan Carlson to Keith for Carlos Santana. Carlson five bucks. Heralded prospect. Slow start. I just want a little bit more, something a little bit more bankable than Santana, who's also on a slow start himself, but hitting cleanup. And I actually definitely need some RBIs. And he's a guy who is already kind of floating around between utility and my bench, but just saw it as a small upgrade. I had another deal here with Demand, um, which this one caught some heat, and I was really kind of surprised by it, to be honest. So the centerpiece going back to Demand was $3 Luke Weaver. Uh, I know Luke Weaver's stat line on the surface doesn't look that great, an ERA just south of eight. Um, he got rocked his first few starts, and he's been excellent since. He was excellent last year before going on the DL. Um, he's three bucks. He is not in demand's top seven right now, but could work his way in there with an injury or just be a supplemental piece for him to try to wheel and deal a two for one in the off season. Um, so people have kind of up in arms around that one, which didn't make sense to me because of what I got in return. Mike Miner, he's been trash. He's just a little bit better than what's out there on the waiver wire. Jordan Montgomery from the Yankees, been okay. Um, I, I think I like his chances of grabbing some wins, but again, just a little bit better than what's on the wire. And yes, Manny Grandal, who's definitely a top 12, top 10 catcher, also off to a very slow start, but I saw it as a little bit of an upgrade over Kiner Falefa. So like three just kind of playable, like pseudo respectable floors um, in which a, a deal I think I gave up the best player who was the only one on a keeper contract. So I liked it. I think it made my team better because Rich Hill and Kiner Falefa weren't really doing much for me. But I was surprised to see that one catch as much heat as it did. But chill, by the way, like I've done, I was watching his last start. He was throwing like 87, 88, zero swings and misses on his curveball, one strikeout, like labored like 60 pitches to get through like two and two thirds. And every pitch was like, you just hold your breath on, it. maybe he can like get a corner and get a called strike, but most of them were just piss missiles that you're just hoping like finds a glove um, or they're hitting like, you know, 800 foot foul home runs. Like he would, he did not look like he belonged out there. So, I mean, it's Rich Hill. He's like this timeless wonder. Maybe tomorrow he goes out and strikes out eight Tigers. But for the most part, I think that guy, 40 years old, I think he's finally done. Ken made another deal to get some starting pitching. He acquired Framber Valdez from Houston and, and Sixto Sanchez, a rookie phenom from the Marlins in exchange for Josh Bell and Brady Singer going to Boots. So starting with Josh Bell, he's three bucks, I think, or eight if he was signed this past offseason. He was the keeper piece. Um, I can understand looking at that monster, monster season he had last year, why Boots would have wanted him. I want no part of Josh Bell. Um, Ken was shopping him to me. I know he was talking to the man. I talked to each of them about it. I said, go look at what happened last year with Josh Bell. Lay over his fastball percentage against his WOBA. And you will see how closely these things track. The short of the story is the guy can mash fastballs and he can't hit anything else. The book is out on him. The league is not throwing him fastballs. And now he's out there hitting 190 with two home runs and 10 RBIs. If he can't figure out how to hit off-speed stuff, this guy's not going to be in the league in a couple years. Like, that's how bad he is right now. Um, so, Pedro Serrano, I guess. So, it seemed like it could have been a good ad for Boots. I think it was more of a good sell for Ken. Framber Valdez, one of the pitchers who came back. Pretty interesting. I had him. Um, I traded him to Boots for Einar Diaz. Um, Framber looks great so far. Three wins, 2-3-5 ERA, 110 whip, 40 Ks in 38 innings, and a really good K to walk. Um, everything's there, including big ground ball rate, does not give up home runs. Like Everything under the hood looks good. 
and yet I, I still sold him because I just, I don't know, maybe my eyes are just deceiving me. I, I watch him pitch and I don't understand how he does it. Like sometimes guys miss pitches that's like, that should have been hit over the fence. That was a mistake. And so maybe he's made some strips, like some strides, some steps forward, but he's really a two pitch guy, curveball, fastball. I just feel like even though everything checks out so far, I don't know how sustainable this is. But Ken needed pitching, and this is a guy who's throwing the ball really well. In a short season, um, just ride it out. And so I think that was a good pickup. As well as Sixto Sanchez, not a prospects guy, um, but he had a good debut, five innings, four Ks, no walks, uh, scheduled to throw again, I think today, against the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, the, the road can be a bit bumpy for, for rookie pitchers, but he definitely seems like someone who, who people really, uh, really like. Okay, a couple more to go through. Frank Bott, big time. Paul Goldschmidt, Luis Robert, Mookie Betts, Brandon Woodruff, Eliezer Hernandez, Eliezer Hernandez. Um, in exchange for Renato Nunez, the big piece going back was Cody Bellinger, of course, on that A contract, which will be frozen. Adam Eaton, Diego Castillo, Robbie Ray. So looking at the return, Paul Goldschmidt, what's he doing this year? 333 with a couple, few home runs. He seems fine. I know that like he, once he left Arizona, like pre-Humidor Arizona, that was kind of a going to be a step down the rest of the way. Still definitely a good contributor. Luis Robert is someone who, he's a top 50 player right now, does it all. Really exciting player to watch. Power, speed, play center field. Um, I have concerns about Robert, for sure. He swings out of the strike zone a lot. He swings and misses a lot. And if you look at the guys, I looked at like the last 10 years, people who had a, a, an O swing or a reach rate as high as his, coupled with a swing and miss weight as high as his, like there are no good hitters on that list. Um, the best you might find is like the old, very aggressive Pablo Sandoval or Adam Jones. Um, granted, those guys maybe don't have the raw power or the speed he has, so he should be able to continue to do special things, but there could be some prolonged slumps in his future. But still a really good player I'd like to have. Mookie Betts, ranked fifth. Don't have to cover Mookie Betts. Elite. Brandon Woodruff, I think he's on a pretty good contract, right? So one of those deals where you buy, you give up the best contract, but you still get a keeper back. Um, that's exactly what Frank did with Woodruff, who's having a great year, 319 ERA, 115 whip, a lot of Ks. And then Elisa Hernandez from the Marlins. He was someone on my watch list and someone kind of like Framber Valdez, who even though everything checks out right now, I just don't buy it. I think there's going to be some rough times ahead. Right now, 304 ERA at .97 whip, 32 Ks in 23 innings. I don't have his K to walk pulled up, but it's really great too. It's like five or something. So everything seems to check out. The problem is when you watch him pitch, is you realize he can't get lefties out. He has a fastball and a slider, that's it. He could be the best or, or one of, like a top five reliever in baseball if you only need to go out there and face some righties and get three guys out. It's working so far, but he doesn't have a changeup. He does not have a pitch to get lefties out. And you'll watch him labor against like Nick Markakis because like fastball slider, fastball, fastball slider. And he just fouls pitches off until he hits one over the fence. Like Freddie Freeman, like he dominated the Braves the other day because they only had Freeman and Markakis in the lineup as lefties. They both handled them just fine. When he gets to more balanced lineups with lefties in there, he's going to give up some three run home runs. Uh, he just, he gives up that really loud contact. He can't get lefties out. So Eliezer, probably more of a matchup play. But, you know, look what's on the wire. You'll definitely take Eliezer Hernandez before the pitchers that are still left out there right now. 
Um, Keith got mostly scraps back aside from Cody Bellinger, six bucks. I think he's defending MVP if that was last year, if not the year before. Starting to turn it around, some multi-hit games, three or four multi-hit games, a couple home runs in this past week. He'll be just fine. So a nice, nice keeper addition there for Keith. Um, two more to talk about. One of mine is with Keith, where I sent him Jared Kellenek, Rice Iglesias, and Aaron Hicks for Carlos Correa, Nick Senzel. I rolled this Chapman and George Springer, and this is one of those ones. It was Sunday night, um, and like this to me, like this experience on making this trade is partially why I feel so strongly that we have to address this and that we have to put a salary cap in place. Because the way this started out, I was looking for something, a smaller deal based around, I think it was Dansby Swanson having a good year. And he started counters for like Kalanick. I say, nope, Kalanick's untouchable. I think he's gonna be a special player. Can't have him and move on. And he basically, in so many words said, like, that's who I want, so make it work. And I knew right then and there, it's like, okay, this is one of those situations where this is the guy he's going to get. He'll give me anything he wants for it. And it was like, you, you, you would think in negotiations, like that would be a good feeling. Like, oh, hell yeah, I'm about to clean up. Um, but I, it's not even how I felt. I'm like, fuck, like, okay, I guess I, like, I kind of have to. I got to put a package together because all my competitors got a lot better. And you play, like, the reason we're playing is to try to win. And making a, a lopsided, potentially lopsided trade is not against the rules, but it felt scummy. Like I started adding players to think, all right, what would I really, what would it take for me to part with Kellenic? And you know, got a lot of good players in return. I think it made me a lot better this year. Um, have enough keepers to absorb losing Kellenic, who as a prospect, of course, isn't a sure thing. But like, I wasn't happy about making that trade. Not because I was losing Kellenic, but because like it just it felt scummy. It really did. And like that was the point where it's like. This, this is shitty to feel like, oh, I have to like trade rape somebody to be able to compete. Otherwise, to Eli's point, like why draft, why manage your team? Like everything becomes irrelevant if you don't make these big trades and keep up. It takes the fun out of it. Honestly, it really does. Um, I think it and it really devalues the draft. It devalues the free agency, all that. So I am not knocking anyone who's made those trades. I've made a hundred of them. I'm not knocking Ken for, for opening the floodgates this year and not knocking any of the sellers who have said like that's the guy i want take everything because it's all like under within the current setup and within the current market that we uh, deploy it all that's the way you do it it makes sense you get the best keeper you can you get the most you can for that keeper as a buyer and you load up to try to win it everyone's playing in bounds no one's in the wrong but we gotta change this like i don't even know if this is a, a thing that we vote on this might be executive order because it is bad. It is out of hand, and it's going to end up sucking the fun out of the league. That's my primary job, aside from uh, coordinating Stiffy and, and getting people paid out. My primary job is to, to keep people engaged and keep the league fun, and, and we're getting off track. So I know it's already been discussed, but I think that's something that we can pretty much just count on being addressed this offseason. And then the last trade was another smaller one. Uh, for acquired Frankie Montas and Edwin Encarnacion in exchange for Garrett Richards and Rugnet Odor uh, from Boots. Richards is $1. I guess that was the piece that he wanted coming back. I guess not too impressive of a year so far, although his numbers may be blown out of proportion by just a terrible outing yesterday. It looks like he went two-thirds of an inning and gave up six runs, so that probably skewed a lot of his stats that may have looked better before. Odor, he was always one of my guys, but he just... No, he's not there anymore. Edwin Encarnacion, do you think that would be a good get? He had a homer and a double yesterday. Or 
but he's hitting a buck 82, five home runs. Looks like Father Time's catching up. And Frankie Montes, an exciting pitcher, is not having a good year at all. And I think he's been battling through back injuries with only a month left in the, the season. Uh, I don't know. He may not be able to turn it around in time. So that may be kind of a nothing burger right there between Boots and Bird. As far as, so let's get this thing wrapped up. We had talked about um, making some changes to the, the a salary cap or something to address some of these wild keeper or wild trade deadlines. I think one other thing that we should explore making a permanent change is the the supplemental uh, free agent moves to backfill injuries. I know we're having more injuries this year because of COVID and not even just due to COVID specifically, but because of uh, guys getting injured because they had short spring training or whatever. Um, but I think that this, this was a good call, I think. And I think that it was something we should probably just do moving forward is to if you got if you guys if you guy goes on an IL you can fill him out right because we have all been in that spot in previous seasons where three or four guys go down at once and you're like oh cool I'm shorthanded for a month uh, using my one move per month to get it back or I mean you don't want to play like with two utility men down that just that murders you on offense so then you got to go out and, and kind of What's the opposite of consolidate? Dissipate. You gotta dissipate your team. Trade like a top 100 player for like three top 250 players, and it's better than having all these blank spots in your lineup. But like, you gotta. Like, no team would really ever do that. No team would trade a, a, a really good player for three mediocre ones just to fill them. They don't have to. They can backfill injuries. Um, I think that that was a blind spot, a miss, a commish on my behalf, not to address that sooner. It took something like COVID to kind of cast a light on it, but I think it's really working out to where um, teams can field full rosters if they choose to. I know some guys are only halfway checked in this year, but um, I think that's something that's, that should probably stay just for competitive balance and, and just doing the right thing because injuries already suck when you lose production, like having to downgrade to a lesser player, but having to take zeros, that's just, that's not right. So I think that's something for us to talk about in the offseason too. All right, guys, uh, where are we at here? I don't know. I can't even see the timer. 30 minutes or so. A little longer than I anticipated. But, hey, enjoy this. Enjoy the weekend. Good luck to those teams fighting for their lives. Good luck to everyone the rest of the way. And maybe we'll do one more uh, pre-Kumite playoff edition if any folks are interested. Um, Have a good weekend. Enjoy the baseball.